Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Robert Russ, and I'm proud to be bringing you these Go All In stories from everyday heroes right here in Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Garrett Norris, and he's from the Healthy Business Builders Group. If you're a first-time listener of the Go All In podcast, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And if you're back for more, thank you so much for joining us and tuning in again. We love our repeat offenders here at the Go All In podcast. Before we get into the show today, make sure that you don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on the app that you're listening in on right now. That way, you'll never miss an episode or an epic Go All In story. And if you like what you hear today, I'd really appreciate a review as that helps us out a whole boatload as well. Now, if you've been around business for any length of time, you might've heard the saying that everything in life is sales. Whether you're wanting a client to make a purchase or you wanna want your partner to let you go out with your mates on a Friday night, almost every interaction that we have as human beings when we're trying to get what we want is related to sales in some way, shape, or form. And as you'll hear on the show today, Garrett is an absolute expert in sales. He's had a lifetime of experience selling in his own businesses, working for others, and training all types of companies from publicly listed blue chip organizations to small and medium enterprises. In my opinion, if there's one skill in life that every person should master, it's sales. Because once you've mastered that, you'll see your results in all aspects of your life move forward exponentially. The tagline for Garrett's company, the Healthy Business Builders, is hope is not a strategy. And as you listen into this show, I'm sure that you'll agree that there's absolutely no truer statement than that in business. Hope is definitely not a strategy in business. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Garrett Norris. Well, good day, Garrett. Welcome to the Go All In podcast, mate. It's really great to have you here. Yeah, pleasure. All right, before we kick off and get into the Go All In mindset and, and your view of the world and your really cool story that I know you've got coming up here for us, I'd like to have a little bit of fun on the front end here, get to know you a little bit with a, a quick fire round of uh, a couple of questions. It's pretty random in no particular order. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you the question. You ready for a bit of fun? Yeah, sure. All right, mate. You've been in this team building and corporate executive coaching thing for a long time. Do you prefer working with smaller groups of people or bigger teams? Bigger teams. Yeah. Bigger teams, you just get more dynamics. You get more feedback. You get uh, group fun happening. Uh, smaller teams are good. They're intense. Um, with the smaller teams, you do get a lot of change happening, but over a sustained period of time after you leave. Mm -hmm. uh, with a big team, a company conference of maybe 100, 200 people, the octave in the room builds and builds to a really nice crescendo of learning. Yeah, and you can feel that, right, as you're the facilitator of something like that. I've been lucky enough to be part of those types of things in the past as well. And I have to say, I, I do agree with what you mean. In the military, you do a lot of that type of presenting and training. My very last posting I did was at the parachute school and you'd have about 300 baby paratroopers come in and you'd get up in front of them and do your thing up in front of them. And it was, they're all kind of sitting on the edge of the sea, all a little bit worried about it, but you get some really good feedback from that energy as well. And then when they break out into the smaller groups, it's just not quite the same. So I have to agree with you there and the, the bigger groups, I like that too. Yeah, there's one, there's one in, uh, there's a communication program that we run uh, and we've just uh, come back from running one for a large corporate in Melbourne where we blindfolded sections of the team and get them to, <laughs> to build stuff. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. 
Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun. I feel like I'm walking around half my day blindfolded sometimes. I don't need to come to your event to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a joke, right? All right. Uh, do you prefer speaking up on stage in front of a group or do you like the solitude of typing away on your computer or writing some stuff? Oh, you know, if you look at my profile, high, high eye for, you know, interaction. Yeah, I, I like being with people. I'm one of the rare people. I really do like people. You know, I love my dog more, but uh, people are nice. Most people don't wake up on a Monday morning and say, I'm going to be an arse. So, you know, when, when we get group dynamics going on and we, we have fun, uh, mm-hmm. I much prefer to be in front of people than be in front of my computer. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that as well. Interesting. I asked a guy that the other day and he was a speaker. That's, that's what he did. He was a speaker. And he said to me on whatever personality scale that I've ever tried, like a Myers-Briggs or a DISC or something like that, he was right in the middle of both of them. So he, he was really fortunate to be able to love being on stage and speaking, but love to write as well. And he'd written like six or seven books or something like that. It was ridiculous. And he's working on more books and then he's doing all this presenting. And I was like, Man, I wish I kind of had that middle ground there to play with as well. But I think uh, I like the people thing as well. Very good. Very good. In, in your role over the years, do you, do you ever get to be a mentor or are you more of a coach? More of a mentor. I think because of life experience, I think coaching, coaching is great. Coaching gets you ready for a task or gets you ready for a job or gets you ready for a situation. I think as a as a mentor, it gets you ready for that task situation, but it also that mentor will stay with you. I'm I'm still in touch with guys that have mentored in London twenty years ago, and back then I didn't even know I was a mentor. Uh, so, <laughs> so they they still they still contact me and ask me for advice and and stuff like that. I much prefer to stay with people than uh, walk away and then have the fruits of your labor and not know what's happened so most people i stay in touch with very nice well said well said all right shifting gears what's the uh what's the favorite holiday destination in australia for you mate oh i live in the best place in the world uh, i live on the central coast of new south wales i've chosen to move there because of the beaches i love scuba diving i love the beach i love all, all of those things so really hard one best holiday destination Port Douglas, I suppose, uh, aside from where I live. You ever get out on the Outer Barrier Reef scuba diving? I have done it a couple of times. And I have to say, I have been disappointed. I have scuba dived a lot around the world. So there's, there's a very high bar to live up to in some of the places I've been. <laughs> Do you ever get up to Southwest Rocks where the grey nurse sharks are? You ever dive up there? Yeah, that's one, one on the bucket list. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Love to do it. I was uh, 14 years old when I learned to scuba dive. Same thing on the Barrier Reef. I did one of those like hotel things where you go out there, did your first dive. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, I was in the Navy and I was a diver in the Navy in that as well. And lucky enough, I was posted here in Sydney and we did a lot of scuba diving around Sydney Harbour and just working away and whatnot. And of all the places I've dived in the world, same sort of thing. Some of the best spots are, are just right here in Sydney because the water's a bit colder. So the visibility is a bit better and the wildlife and the sharks and all the things you see here are just absolutely incredible. Is there a favorite spot for you on the central coast? No, just uh, the HMSA Adelaide. Um, that's, that's a really nice, easy, easy dive. I'm, I'm a lazy diver. So uh, <laughs> I get in, I potter around and, and I do my thing. 
Well, no, the last many years ago, I think it was 2000 or 2001, I was up in the Barrier Reef when the Lonigans went missing. Right. And that was interesting. And uh, that business, Calypso, went bust. But back then, I, I was quite surprised at the lackadaisy way that they ran their dives. Mm. It was kind of, yeah, it should be right, mate. <laughs> Le- leaving the people behind. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But then again, are they alive or not? The mystery the mystery continues. The plot thickens. <laughs> Tell me, what's it like diving on HMAS Adelaide? That makes me feel a little bit old. I remember when I was in the in the Navy in ship's company with HMAS Adelaide and on exercise with them and traveling around Southeast Asia and whatnot. And I was on guided missile frigates as well. So what, wow. what's it like to scuba dive on? That must be kind of cool. It's nice. It's a, it's a pleasant, it's just a pleasant dive. The uh, best wreck dive I've done was the Thistlegorm in Egypt. Um, in the Red Sea. Uh, yeah. And I, I got a chance to dive it before it was uh, made a war grave. And, the, you know, there's Bedford trucks in Cargo Hole 1 and be, in the back of them is Triumph motorcycles and <laughs> yeah. there's a tank and a, and a, a, a train on, a, on deck. And, and that was just amazing. And it's really hard as a wreck dive to beat that one. But, you know, I, I'm just wherever I, I'll go and have a look. Very nice, very nice. I was lucky enough to uh, go diving in the Solomon Islands when I was about 15 or 16. And uh, I did a wreck dive there on, there's the, on, on the reef, right? The reef's kind of like a, a hill on an angle and you swim down to about 30 meters. It's quite deep. And you look back up at the reef and you can see the submarines like lying on its side, like the conning tower is sideways. Oh, wow. and you can see where it's been hit and it's a mini submarine. So there's only like three or four guys that were inside that thing. So it's quite small, but it looks so unbelievably out of place in this tropical setting, in this tropical environment on the reef. And then you've got this like big metal tube there it's like what the hell that was that was a very very cool experience and then looking up at it with the sunlight and the blue tropical water so really really cool i love wreck diving like that as well yeah there's a b-52 uh bomber um in corsica really? it's perfectly landed on the the bottom of the ocean and you just pop her along and there she is she just opens up in front of you and it's just amazing <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, I just it's uh, I don't get enough time to do enough diving now. Yeah, I know the feeling, but uh, it certainly st- it sticks with you. All right, as we uh, as we come to the end of the little quiz here, mate, are you? I'm always interested to know, like people in business, are you early to rise or late to bed? Um, both. So I my body clock is six o'clock is a is a, a late lie-in for me. So if I make it past six o'clock in the morning, uh, that's, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty unusual. And then, you know what, if, if I'm still working at night, I'll just stay up. Um, if there's something on my mind and I need to get it done, I'll get it done. I don't like procrastination. Mm-hmm. So it depends. Uh, I'll catch up on sleep when I'm allowed. <laughs> Beautifully said. Get the priorities straight, finish it off, and then uh, sleep when you're dead. I love it. I love it. Well said. All right, mate. What's the? Uh, you, you've got a, a really cool motto and tagline that I want to talk about later on because I, I really love it. It really kind of captivates me and encapsulates a lot of what you guys do as a business. But what's the what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Somebody said to me once, "Just a emotion for home, passion for business." I love uh, it. So they didn't say it in those words. They said, you know what? It's, it's only business. It's not like you've lost a loved one. And that's kind of resonated with me throughout my career. As a young man, you'd lose a deal 
and woe is me, the world is ending. <laughs> and I suppose, I suppose now it, it really is that, that um, I love what I do. The weekends are um, a deterrent for me to, to work. People can't understand that. Holidays for me is just a, an annoyance away from what I love, which is work. Yeah. Uh, and I've managed to carve myself a, a business where I help people. I am in corporate. I get a chance to work with some really cool people and cool brands. But with that comes a certain amount of pressure and stress. And I say I don't do stress and I I pretty much don't because I keep reminding myself, you know what? Emotion for home, passion for work. You come around messing with my family or my loved ones, I will get emotional and I will. That is stress. Mm. You know what? It's only work. I love it. I love it. It's a, actually a really good grounding mantra. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to borrow it if you don't mind. I'm going yeah, sure. to use it. I like that a hell of a lot because I'm, I'm pretty emotional about things. I get run up by stuff, but I shouldn't do that so much. And yeah, yeah. it's a nice little leveler and a balancer. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our own head. And, and when I'm mentoring people, you know, they... You come in and, and it's, oh my God, I think I'm going to get the chop or uh, this staff or that staff or I haven't made budget and uh, I've been up all night because I can't sleep because of this, because of that. And you kind of say, well, you know what? Is, is everything works out in the end. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So there's no point in getting emotional. Keep that, save that. That's the good stuff. Keep that for your loved ones. Mm, well said well said great advice and uh definitely i'm gonna i'm gonna borrow that and use that for myself as well well garrett thank you for sharing that with us here on the front end of the podcast a little bit of fun a little bit great way to get to know you a little bit as well in work and outside of work as well so thank you for that we appreciate it but people come on over to the go all in podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in so garrett if you could mate could you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a few. When I was a, a young man, I suppose the, the first test of go all in, not being able to read in school, both my brother and sister being academic, and then I come along. So it was interesting. Back then in Ireland, dyslexia wasn't a thing that they knew about. So, you know, you put into uh, a class with uh, the special needs and, and, and that's cool. So I left school uh, when I was 15, mm-hmm. decided that I'll, I'll pursue a career in hotel management and left home, moved out on my own. When you were 15? Uh, yeah, wow. uh, moved up to Dublin, got a job as a trainee manager in a hotel in Dublin at £45 a week. Uh, out of that, I had to pay 20 and it took me three years to save up for a plane ticket to London. Flew to London and didn't have anywhere to go. So I spent some time on the streets. Bought my first suit from a Salvos in Hammersmith. And went around to the Central West Hotel in Hammersmith and begged them for a job if it came with a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was pretty much the start of my career. Had I not taken those two major, you know, go all in, it's... Roll the dice. Uh, I don't think I would have been here today. I would have been still in Ireland behind a bar or as a labourer, but I backed myself. Did, did, you ever, did you ever think that you would end up in Australia? No, no. It's a, it's a, it's a funny <laughs> one. You know, you, you look at it and um, my, 
my sister and a lot of my family ended up in Canada. My brother's in London and I'm in Australia. Um, All over the world. Yeah, pretty much. But back then, it was in the uh, early 90s, there was no, no jobs in Ireland. So if you wanted a career, you've got to leave. Right. Why was there no employment? What was the economy just really down, or what was? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a, a very oppressive time in Ireland, way before the Celtic Tiger uh, and the economy boosted. The unemployment was ridiculous. Yeah, I went back to once after I lived in the Channel Islands. Went back, and the queues for the dole were a mile long. And I remember back then. I left the Channel Islands as a hotel manager. I went back to Dublin, couldn't get a job. And the only job I could get was selling uh, life assurance door-to-door for Canada Life Commission only. And that was my introduction to sales. And bizarrely enough, uh, I enjoyed sales. So that's (laughs) when I moved moved back to London and pursued my career in sales. Wow. On this, on this show, we have people tell us all sorts of go-all-in stories. Often they're, they're ones of transition. Sometimes they're about health or relationships or something like that as well. But it sounds like you were, you were put in a position where you kind of almost had no choice and you've got to back yourself and you just keep going no matter what because you've got no choice. Is that what happened right there when you left school? No, I don't agree with that. We all have choices, and I had choices. Mm-hmm. I, I chose the choices I chose. Um, the choices I had, I could have stayed and worked as a laborer. Um, there's, there's plenty of choices that we have in life. Um, there are doors that we can choose to go through. Um, the have no choice is, I believe, a cop-out for making a choice. So no, I, I decided I wanted a certain career, I was a very ambitious young man, and I didn't want second best. I I believe then, and I believe today, that if somebody else has done it, I will be able to do it. All I have to do is apply myself and learn. So with that in mind, it was, okay, do I want second best, and am I okay to settle for uh, what the teachers advised my parents to be, for me, is a laborer's hand. Mm. And that's that's what the uh, at fourteen fifteen that's what the school was preparing me to be uh, a labourer's hand. So so when you got to to London and you found yourself in, you started to get a little bit of momentum with your career. What did that feel like? Because you're not you're not a labourer's hand there. You're actually doing something you wanted to. Yeah, it was it was good. Um, it was good because I moved when I got the hotel manager's job. Um, then I was moved to um, Brighton as a food and beverage manager, and I was one of the youngest food and beverage managers in the UK. I suppose then when I was asked to go as a general manager of Hotel Fontainebleau in the Channel Islands, running a nightclub and a hotel at the age of 23, um, you know, I, the ego took over and I thought I was an invincible and, you know, at 23, I knew everything. Um, so yeah, I, I was full of misguided pride when I started my career in sales, my ego was riding gunshot on everything and I was arrogant. And I remember one time I met my sister in Leicester square in London and, uh, I love her to bits, but she gives me the home truth. Uh, she is, 
she grounds me quite well and she pointed out that I had turned into an arrogant arse <laughs> because I was chasing the dollars and I was, oh, well, I can do this and I'll get that. You know, the, uh, I want the, the faster car and the bigger house and the, I got my suits tailor-made in Bond Street and my shirts tailor-made and my silk ties. And, and she looked at me and she just said, you're an idiot. Then I hit a stage of, you know, wasn't going that well. You know, London, London was hard and I was winning clients like Financial Times and, you know, they were pressing me hard for stuff that, you know, I wasn't ready for. Mm -hmm. And she handed me a book called The Alchemist. And I read that book and I went, you know what? It's so spot on. While I'm chasing my pot of gold, it's, it's there beside me. And I was too blind to see it. So that whole emotion for home, passion for business, I, I think that is really important. And integrity and all of those things that we, we, we talk about in business. And you, we've got um, businesses that spend a lot of money on their vision, mission, and, and value statement. But do they actually live by it? My question is, do they embrace it? I honestly don't think they do. Uh, I'll, I'll make the hard decisions in business but I value loyalty and I value integrity. And I suppose that that's born from a little conversation my sister had with me many years ago, calling me an arse. <laughs> and obviously you've carried that with you and it's a, it was a humbling experience there for you as well. I think for me, when I left the military, I was chasing the bucks as well. And I think as a young person, you, you do that because you want for things. And I've discovered that later on in my life, and particularly when I've discovered media and, and podcasting and doing video and helping people like I do now, that fulfillment is not for me about how much money I've got in the bank. It's very mm. important because you need to eat, of course, and you need to live a life and give your kids a, a better life as well. But I, I discovered that I measure my success by how many people that I can affect in a positive way. And the more people I affect from a positive side of things, the more financial rewards seem to come to me like that. So, and if I do it in a way where I, it feels really good to do that, more of it just keeps coming. And it's such a great positive feedback loop in my little bubble in the world that I live in. And I really, really wish that I learned that earlier on in life. Not that yeah. I'm that old, but I wish I had learned that in my, at the end of my military career when I first started going into, into business and doing that. I think I would have been far more successful. So anyone that's out there listening and has a sister that can slap you over the head with a book, make sure she gives you the book and listen to the advice of the sister as well, right? Mm, yeah, good. yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It, it doesn't cost us anything to have a kind word or pay it forward. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't take a lot to smile at somebody and help somebody. You know what? Could we be richer um, financially if we just chase the dollars and invoice everything we possibly can? Yes, of course we can. But will we be richer in soul? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I also discovered that there's the weird dichotomy, right? Is that you've got a potential client in front of you and you're, you're working for business. And I discovered that if I stop trying to work for the business and actually be really present with them and really understand what it is that they are looking for and, and what they need and can I help them meet those needs. And sometimes I do it just without expectation. Sometimes I just help people just because and with no expectation of anything. And it's not about creating karma or anything like that. It's about just being a little bit kinder 
and just being a bit nicer because you don't have to be this like dog eat dog, vicious business person trying to win every single dollar that you can. I sort of just think, you know, if, just, if people ask you and you can help them, just the best way you can help someone is actually by helping them. And again, I, I wish I had learned that when I was in my, in my late 20s, early 30s when I was kicking off my business career. But hey, I got there in the end, so I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, I, it's just do the right thing. I spent a long time two weeks ago trying to convince a client that they don't need to do a certain, uh, buy a certain profiles and do, it was an extra $7,000 that they didn't need to spend, but mm. they just wanted to do it. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm grateful for the business. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful, but I, I don't want it purely because they want to spend it. Uh, I want to do the right thing if I can get the result for people without gouging them. And that, that, that's, that's the other thing about this industry. It's, um, you, you're going to get me onto a topic that I'm very passionate about, which is if we look at, if we look at the management consulting industry or the, the sales industry, it's, if you look at sales, it's the, only, it's the only mainstream profession that we cannot get a degree in. Mm. We can get a marketing degree. We can get all of those degrees, but not a sales degree. I've worked with universities on, on their sales program, but they still don't have a sales degree. It, there is no governing body either for the management consultancy industry. So if we've got a, a sales professional, a sales director, and they lost their job, they can nip down to the local SNAP printing, get a printing business card made, and have it say consultant. Mm. Um, and it's one of those, I would love to have it regulated so we could operate in a fashion that we're not taking money from clients without a return on investment and a clear outcome at the end of the day. Because I've had so many clients saying, oh, you know, you guys are consultants. You just come and talk theory with no result. We want results. We don't care about the theory. And that's why my book is clearly titled, written by a practitioner, not an academic. Mm-hmm. We have academics on our team. Absolutely, we do. But everybody on our team has at least 15, 20 years experience of failure. And I don't think you can be a success without that 20 years of success coupled with failure. Is that, is that maybe why there isn't a formal qualification for sales? It's, it's a subject that's very dear and near to my heart as well, because as a, as a young guy, when I left the military, I had, a, I had a business with two of my mates and very quickly I realized that the idea that we had for the business was excellent. It was working really well and the thing that was lacking, the gap in my knowledge was not being able to execute and deliver on the business. It was my ability to sell and talk about mm-hmm. rejection. Oh man, I had the door slammed in my face so many times and I made so many mistakes and looking back now, you know, with the benefit of, of hindsight 20 years later, I can see all the mistakes that I actually made. But is that why the degree doesn't exist is because there's no real way to, to build that kind of resilience in a salesperson other than to go out there and do that and, and make the mistakes? I mean, I guess you could shortcut it by, not, by teaching them techniques so they don't make those mistakes. Yeah, uh, look, it, it's what do you cover. Look, it, I don't think marketing should exist. And it's, it's an interesting one because what is, what is marketing mm. uh, without sales? Uh, I don't think sales should exist. What is sales without marketing? They're, they're both in the same. And say we had a sales degree and, and a university was willing 
to actually put it on. What is it? So I'm a negotiator. So yeah, okay, we, we need to put negotiating uh, modules in Zopa and Batna, the zone of possible agreement and best alternative for negotiated agreement. So that would have to go in. We would have to have listening skills. So part of the psychology uh, would have to go in. Clearly, all of the marketing, a lot of that would need to go in. Counseling, yep, we'd have to put that in. Questioning skills, so part of the law would need to go in. Research skills. So where, where do you start with it? And, you know, one of, one of my team, um, Professor Peter Cobbless, he is uh, he's amazing. But we started putting this together and we do have it, but I just haven't had a university that has the courage to take it and run with it. Mm. What, what do you need to do to get it to that level? How does that actually work? You've obviously you've created the course, got the modules and whatnot. What do you, what do you have to do to get it into a university? How does that work? I don't know. So I, I, first of all, I need to get a university to say, yeah, let's do it. And then they, they build it into their curriculum and then they create a degree course for it. If we've created the Kona Academy, and that is eight modules all the way from the basic of profiling somebody in a sales context using DISC or MBTI or whatever profiling tool you want to get used, uh, using an LP, body language. Then we move into customer service because if we can replace S-E-L-L with H-E-L-P, mm-hmm. that's all it is. Everything we do in life, we have to be sold. There's, I haven't learned how to, my new laptop, uh, I haven't learned from a book or watching a podcast how to draw on, on my new laptop. It was the sales guy that during the sales process, he showed me and demonstrated me the benefits from that. Mm-hmm. So without that, maybe that wouldn't sell. And there's a, there's a company called Edwards Life Science that produced a heart stent that saves many, many lives. They approach us. They, they produce these things. They have minds the size of planets. They can't sell it. So that's where the sales come in. So it's helping people. So our Kona Academy takes people all the way through from basic customer service to advanced negotiation. And that's what I'd love to see a, a university take on and say, you know what, let's make this a degree. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, while they're um, thinking about taking that on, they could just come and see you guys, right? That's uh, that's the whole point of you existing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, uh, the irony, of course, is, is nothing. We don't do anything scheduled. And people call us up, can, you ha- can I have your standard sales training? Uh, my response is normally, sure, absolutely. Just give me your standard customer. I was uh, going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> is that the standard person? He's five foot nine. He's approximately. <laughs> yeah. And it, it fascinates me that people still, they still send their team off to schedule training <laughs> on workshops as a facilitator. And you would know this as a facilitator, we are always going to just our delivery to the lowest common denominator within that group. Mm. Um, try to facilitate the more, more advanced people. So you put your team on a, a scheduled course where you don't know the capability of the other people coming along. And then you hope, and we know hope is not a strategy. You hope they will come back with something good. You know, hope, you know, the hope is not a strategy. It started off as the hope is the enemy of happiness. Um, so it's, it's not a great strategy, is it? 
So as Rushkin said, you know, he coined the pay peanuts and get monkeys. So it's, it literally is that. I have to say uh, one of my notes that I've got here is I did a little bit of background on you before this interview was, was that was hope is not a strategy. And it really, I don't know what it, what it, it's just, they're just words, right? They're like five words. Hope is not a strategy, but it really kind of resonated with me at, at the core of my being. And I think because it strikes at the core of one of my, my core beliefs, which is I don't hope for anything. You, you got to work for whatever it is that you want and things happen. You know, you either get positive feedback or negative feedback, you win or you lose type thing. But I, I, the word hope is really just not in my vocabulary. So I think it's so powerful in business that you just can't hope that, that I'm going to win that deal or I've, I hope that I can get 25 proposals out this week and hopefully I'm going to win one of those things. If one of my sales team is saying that to me, it's like a big giant alarm bell because it means they're not working towards it. They're not following a process. They're not using a procedure that we've created internally. And yeah, hope, hope is definitely, definitely yeah. not a strategy for business. No, absolutely. And no matter what we do in life, activity equals results. We can sit in our backside and, and hope that the deal will come in. Uh, we can sit there and hope that we'll lose the 100 of the 200 kilos we're carrying around. Um, we can hope to have muscles and, and sit there and not do anything. Unless we take action and have a strategy on how to do that. So I, I, I really hope that we hit our target for next year. Great, they're words. What are we going to do? What's the target? And reverse plan that. Mm. Um, how many people are we going to talk to? How many people are we going to meet? How many delivery are we going to do? And so, yeah, hope is, hope is certainly not a sales strategy. Mm, yeah, very, 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 very clever tagline. One of the most clever taglines I've seen in business for a very long time. So ni nice work on that one. Thank I just you. want to shift gears here a little bit, Garrett. As I looked at your profile, I noticed that you'd worked with the big end of town, like the major corporate public companies, like a bank and a big major company, but you've also worked with the middle and smaller end of town as well. And in the startup world and helping people get up on their feet and working with smaller businesses, can you share with me and share with the audience what the two differentiating factors are that you can think of on the top of your mind as, as I'm asking you the question there? What's the difference between a, a big giant business who's doing really well with sales and a small business that's not doing so well? What's the difference? Why does one business do really well and get giant and the other business just stays where they are or, or really, really struggle? Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> I think, I think that, that fundamentally is the difference. Uh, the difference between the success and, and not success is the adoption of the strategy. Um, you know, the, I have no interest at all, and I, I say this to my clients, I have no interest in ticking a box for a, a HR department or, you know, oh dear, we have to do some training. Let's tick mm -hmm. that box. No interest. I want to get in, make it, make it happen, get results. Um, if it's, it's a sales uh, workshop or sales enhancement program, I want to see the sales grow. One company in particular, in four months, we increased their revenue by 88% and their net margin by 66%. Wow. Huge. It works out, yeah, it worked out about $50 million. Wow. Um, and that gives us an immense buzz. So, yeah, I, I, the methodologies are the same. The people are people. 
I suppose with the smaller business, there is much more emotion and empathy that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the one of the brands, Healthy Business Builder brand, not so much the Kona brand, but that brand was born uh, from a friend of mine saying, oh, it's, it's okay f- for you guys in when I was uh, working for the big corporates, you guys have consultants come in and you guys can afford that. And I thought, yeah, you know what, we'll start a brand that helps the small business. And I thought about that for a while and I got a consultant in um, when I was a director, trained my executive team. And one of my team said to the <laughs> the facilitator. So in your experience, when have you done this? And he made the fundamental mistake of saying, oh, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. I'm a trainer. I haven't actually done it. I'm just delivering a course. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So at that point, the Healthy Business Builder brand was born and the target audience was the SME. Mm -hmm. Um, But we picked up Livestock Australia. We picked up um, the gorillas as well. So then... We said, okay, well, all of these big guys don't fit in the brands anymore. Um, so we need to create a, or buy a brand that will come back to basics. So that's how Business Coaches Sydney and Business Coaches Melbourne was born. And those two brands are keeping it back to basics, uh, making sure that we do have our eye fixed on the small to medium-sized enterprise, the guys that want to grow, not tick boxes. We're not a passive partner either, so we'll call bullshit when we hear it. And it takes a mature, emotionally intelligent business owner to say, yeah, okay, Mm. you're right. Let's try it. Mm. Long answer for a very short question. Sorry about that. Well, it's a a complicated question, and I was really intrigued to see where you were going to go with it. But, you know, I guess the short answer to the long version is hope is not a strategy. And that that be the, the difference. And... Along the same vein of, of questioning there, along the same lines, for the regular listeners that know, I've had a digital marketing agency for quite a long time, a decade or more. And for the new people that are listening into the show, welcome. We, we love our new listeners. Thank you. You're in for a treat on this show. That's for sure. You're getting some, some great feedback and advice from Garrett. Thank you for, for tuning in. And I've had this business for a long time and I've seen the change, the radical change in the way digital marketing has been delivered and and particularly in the last couple of years. And I've said this a lot recently on a few podcasts that the last two years has changed a lot and we've really had to work out a different way to keep attracting clients because the industry is very, very commoditized and consumers are very smart because once upon a time, what we do today, if I rewind five or seven, eight years, that was a mystery to everybody and they would happily outsource it to a company like us. But nowadays, it's not such a mystery. Consumers have caught up. Consumers are highly intelligent, highly refined. So my question to you, Garrett, is if a business is operating in a commoditized industry, how do they compete in a hyper, hyper competitive world? What, what is it that they could do to stand out? Pick up the phone. Old school. That's what I do. That's exactly what I do. You know what it is? With all all the technology and uh, all the digital marketing and and we are critics, we are all of these things at our fingertips. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've got our devices. And, you know, I I was asked many years ago about showrooming and the effects that it has on the retail industry where you walk in and you treat the bricks and mortar like a, a showroom. 
and the term showrooming was was born in the US and I gave a talk on it and they were they were saying oh well you know it's uh, the internet and social media means that people are coming into our stores and just using us as a showroom and then they're going and buying online and I suppose they're only buying online because you haven't given them a compelling reason to buy it there and then and that's not price people buy for in my opinion two two reasons they buy for aspiration and need, pleasure and pain. If we can meet their aspiration or need or solve their their pleasure points or their pain points, we will make that sale. Um, but if we compete with the digital age, we'll fail. There's, there's a, a young man called Sam Puckett here on the Central Coast, New South Wales, and he came into my house two years ago to fix my air conditioning. It was dead. It was, you know, it was fried. It was one of those 42 degree days. <laughs> and uh, I said, just replace it. He said, hang on, I, I need to ring the office. So he rang the office. And he said, they want to speak to you. And they handed me the phone. And she said, are you around? Are you at home next Thursday, uh, next Tuesday? And I said, well, no, I'm not. Uh, so we, we need a salesperson to come around and um, measure. I said, have I asked you how much? She said, no. I said, the price is okay, fix it. So she kept arguing with me. Um, <laughs> and I just said, look, forget it. Uh, so I looked at this young man and I said, um, you see, he goes, yeah. And he said, I'm really sorry. I said, can it be fixed? He said, no. I said, can it be replaced? He said, yes. I said, do you want your own business? <laughs> he goes, what? He said, I said, if you had a business, what would you call it? He said, oh, green living air. He'd I already said, thought about it. <laughs> yeah, he had already, and I loved it. I said, okay, I'm going to set up a business called green living air. You're going to be the managing director. I'll 30, take 30%. Now, all I want you to do is charge more than your competition, but deliver expert service. If you're going to be, if, you, if you're booked in at 10 o'clock in the morning, you get to their house at 10 to 10 in the morning, you SMS them saying, no rush, I'm outside whenever you're ready. You clean up after yourself, you follow up. Uh, you call them, not email them, not text them, mm. not social media. <laughs> Actually pick up the phone and say, hi, I'm Sam, is everything okay? Technology is there, it's great. We are, we, are, we are very lucky to live in the age with social media and, and the digital age that we have, that we can work harder and longer and faster. But if we hide behind this and we lose sight of why people buy, then we fail. Mm. In my opinion, that's just my opinion. I, I love it. I love it. I love it so much because it's kind of, it sort of, in some ways, like I love these podcasts, first of all, because I get to ask all the questions I want and I get all of this gold that comes at me thick and fast. So, and it sort of validates what I do and how I approach things. You know, we initiate a communication and a conversation via social media and then immediately the second we can, we take it off there. And usually we take it off there with a phone call. That's the the very first thing to do. And for the people listening, maybe you want to borrow a little bit of my vernacular and, and maybe Garrett, you can critique me here a little bit, but I usually pick up the phone and say, g'day, Mr. Client, g'day, Miss Client, whatever, whoever I'm talking to, Rob from the Go All In podcast here. I thought, you know what? I thought I'd ring up and speak like a human being instead of hiding behind my computer and typing like a robot. Do you have a couple of minutes to talk? Mm -hmm. And every single time, 10 times out of 10, they're like, yeah, sure. 
what, what's going on? And every now and then, you know, somebody says, oh, I'm in a meeting, I'll ring you back type thing. But it is a really great conversation starter and building on a relationship like that and taking the relationship to the next level and just ascending it like that is, is really nice. We have another business. My partner is a, is a photographer. And from time to time, I see her like a crazy person on a phone typing away and something. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, oh, look, you know, we've got this inquiry. We've got this client. I'm responding to it here. And we're drinking a cup of coffee in the cafe. And I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if you just said, hey, what's your mobile number? I'll give you a call. Uh-huh. There's no, no room for error in typing on your little keypad on your phone. You know, if you make a spelling mistake or something like that, people are kind of funny about those sorts of things. It's like, pick up the phone and talk to these human beings. And she's like, oh. No, oh, pick up the bloody phone and ring. <laughs> and I've, got, I've, got, I've got a great one for you. Say you, it's a, a Monday morning or a, a Saturday. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you go to your letterbox and there are 10 letters in there. And you go through them and one is handwritten. Out of those 10, which will you answer? Which will you open first? Absolutely, that handwritten one. Who, who the hell is writing on a piece of paper? <laughs> So if we want to catch somebody's attention, we let them know that they're valued. 100%. So if I want to catch somebody's attention, I want them to read something, I'll send them a letter. Mm. Snail mail, go old school, because it's unusual. It's different. Mm. Uh, You know what? Why is it unusual? Because it actually gives a, I call it give a shitness. It actually... (laughs) It actually let people know that you really do care. And I do. I, I care deeply about, I get emotionally contracted to every one of my clients. I remember my dad saying to me, he pulled out a contract once and, it, and uh, he, was where he worked from home from his study. And I must have been only 13. And he said, Garrett, look at that. I said, yeah. He said, you know what that is? I said, no, no idea. He said, that's a contract. If you ever go into business and he said, don't, for God's sake, get a proper job, get a trade. (laughs) He said, but if you ever go into business and you have to pull one of these, the relationship's over. Oh. (laughs) And he's right. You know what? He's right. If you ever have to refer to a line in a contract, the relationship's over and you have don't care about that client. I emotionally contract rather than written contracts. We've got contracts. Of course we've got contracts. But I think if the emotional contract between supplier and client is broken, uh, there's no way back from that. But where does it start? It starts with hello. Mm. How is that hello made? Contact can be made using standard means like digital marketing or emails or that's initial contact. But really, the the warm contact has to be hello. hundred. Mm. Mm. My God, it's just like... Exactly the way I operate my business. And I think that's part of the reason that I do pretty well out of it is because I I try to be as present as I can whilst making that initial communication as well and and just really listening to them and and taking the time to get to know them as well. So it's it's really cool. Well, Garrett, thank you for sharing all of that, mate. It's uh, just value bomb after value bomb there, mate. Really, that's awesome stuff. Thank you so much. It's it means the world to me when people come on the show and, and share their passions and their love of what they do like that. And, and clearly you're a passionate guy and you, you, it means a lot to you and it means the world to me. And I know it will to the audience as well. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that for us. If somebody was listening into this podcast and they were thinking about business, because you and I have been chatting about that and talking about what it's like to be in business and in sales. And you know what? It's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And 
I would encourage people to commit and to go all in, but to have a plan and, and to do that. What would be the top two or three things that you would encourage people to do? Or if they were thinking about going all in on something, what would, what would you say? Be comfortable with discomfort. Um, <laughs> back yourself. And hope is not a strategy. Ah, I love it. I'm I'm stealing all three of them. All of those quotes, I'm taking them. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I love them. All right, Garrett. Well, if people want to connect with you and they want to learn more about your business, what's the best way for them to do that? They can pop onto any of our websites. The main website is just a holding page, which has all the brands, which is hbbozgroup.com.au. Or they can drop me an email personally, uh, garrett at hbbozgroup.com.au. Can't promise to get back to everybody straight away, depending on volume. But the best way, kona.com.au go on the website, fill out the form. We'll definitely get back to you. Excellent. And if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just have a peek at your phone and you'll see the links to Garrett's websites right there in the show notes. So no need to go digging for it. You'll find them right there. And I'll pop you, is it all right if I pop your LinkedIn link in there as well? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, cool. So just have a, have a checker there on your phone as you're listening to this podcast and you'll see all of the links. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and in the bottom of the show notes in the description to this video, the links will be right there for you as well. Garrett, you do a lot of work with charity. I want to close out this podcast by talking about something that is very uplifting, although this has been a very uplifting podcast. It's been a lot of fun. And my favorite topic of business and sales, I, I love it. It's only kind of seconded by leadership conversations. I, I love that as well as a military guy. But the charity stuff that you do, and I did a little bit of research on, on that, is pretty incredible, man. Giving back the way that you do, that's, that's impressive. Can you, can you tell the listeners a bit about what you've done in the past and what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so uh, every year we, we try and give back. We, we've been honoured to be able to be a part of uh, $1.3 million to different charities wow. so far. Well done. Um, well done. Uh, it's, it's the team. So this year we've put our efforts behind Spectrum Support. This is for families that live with autism. So last year we had an unfortunate shooting in the western suburbs where there was a young young woman uh, that was on the spectrum wielding a knife, wasn't taking, taking any of the police instructions. The police assumed that they were on ice or whatever, and the, that young girl was shot dead. So the families of that young girl, the police officer involved, the trauma for everybody involved in that was horrible. So um, I met with uh, a couple uh, called the Peerbums. They've got four kids on the spectrum, and they just told their story on how hard it was for them, how little people actually know about it. And I, I didn't know. I, I honestly didn't know. Yeah. And it was a great excuse for me to buy another motorbike. So... <laughs> We, we decided that, you know what, we're going to put on a charity ride in October this year. We're inviting executives to come and join us, to come join us on the ride and raise $5,000 for each rider that comes, comes along. We're asking them to, we've got a, sorry, a, a, I'm just reading it out now, the GoFundMe or 
thing website mm-hmm. au. so we've we've got that we're getting we're asking people to come along sign up or donate they just log in and sponsor me or sponsor any other the riders if you do want to take part in it um dust off the the motorbike it's going to be four days uh, the five thousand dollars covers all of your food all of your accommodation you get a chance to meet some really cool executives as well and just see us talk crap for four days and, and see if we can raise lots of awareness for this charity. Uh, I, I think if we don't give back, I can't pay forward. I, I know where I've come from. I, I know I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for people. Just give me a hand. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And once again, if you're, listening in I'll the have a have a check is at your phone and the gofundme link will be right there for you so go ahead and and click that have a look and uh open up your heart open up your wallet and and make sure you donate a couple of bucks there to garrett and his team because i know that would be going to a very very worthy cause garrett thanks again for coming on the show mate that's been an absolute pleasure i really enjoyed that we look forward to speaking with you again soon mate it's bye for now thank you and bye Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Garrett and his business, then just take a peek at your phone and in the show notes to this episode, all the links to his websites and his LinkedIn are right there so you don't have to go digging for them in Google. Just check the notes to this episode and you'll see it right there. And if you're watching this on Facebook or on YouTube, just scroll on down and you'll see the the links there in the description as well. As always, if you've got a question or a comment or a suggestion for the show, you can reach out to me via the usual social media channels. And if you want to send me an email, just head over to goallin.com.au and you can send me an email through the contact form right there on the website. And make sure that you come on over and join the Go All In Facebook group as well. Just search for Go All In on Facey and you'll see the links right there. So don't forget to like the fan page and come on over and join our group as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. Now, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get into it, and go all in. I'll see you next time.